Good morning. Uh, please turn your Bible with me uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 4 today. Have you ever noticed that uh, the gas gauge in your car seems at times to have a mind, an inconsistent mind of its own? Uh, when you fill up, uh, the, the needle seems to kind of hang out at full for a while, uh, and maybe even kind of go above full when you first fill up, only uh, when it begins to descend to drop rather rapidly before hanging out again on E for a little bit, on that empty, uh, before again moving on down pretty quickly to the warning light stage. Well, it turns out that gas gauges are kind of specifically engineered uh, to work this way. It doesn't really make sense. You would think that any kind of gauge would be, its sole job would be to accurately depict what it's representing, to, to actually show us uh, how our gas is actually depleting. But if you think about it for a moment, there is kind of something satisfying about being able to fill up and have the needle hang out there on full for a little while. It hangs out there and you think, at least you have the illusion that you're getting good gas mileage. And then uh, we don't really want to think about how quickly we're burning through the, the gas tank that you just filled. And then likewise, it's, it's kind of nice for it to hang out on empty as well. I mean, how many of us, myself included, would probably be pushing our cars into the gas station much more frequently had it not stalled on that empty a little bit? You see, it, it gives us this kind of nice feeling to be fooled by our fuel gauge. And it should be the engineer's job, the one who designs this gauge and implements this gauge, to really make sure that it works accurately, that all throughout the stages it drops in the same consistency, it drops in the same way. But when it comes to these gauges, the engineer actually kind of has to play psychologist to pacify the customers. As we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, we, we see this kind of similar tension play out in the world in which Timothy is ministering. We've seen throughout the last three chapters that false teachers around Timothy have, have kind of felt this pressure to compromise the truth. They have been presenting a, a re-engineered gospel that leaves out the tough parts in order to find that, those sweet spots of F and E where people are happy to be fooled. In chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, uh, Paul says, "...for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine." Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Paul says that people will surround themselves with, with things that make them feel good rather than the correction and rebuke and encouragement that Scripture is actually supposed to offer. And as Paul has been challenging Timothy throughout this letter, we've seen him give him many challenges and encouragements and instructions to Timothy as his protege to carry on the work of standing for the truth. You know, carry on the, the marathon as he passes the baton to those, the Timothy who will take up the mantle of ministry. We've been looking at this letter kind of through the lens of Paul's final words, that this letter is the last words that we have of Paul in the New Testament as he is now in prison awaiting what he knows will be likely his death. And as he's been challenging and encouraging Timothy to, to fan and to flame his gifts of ministry, a lot of instruction has been given on standing true and standing for truth in the face of these false teachers. And while many of us have probably not encountered these kinds of, of teachers that Timothy is facing, I think that this charge is still true for us to stand firm in the truth. As all of us have grown up in this culture in which all truths are not created equal in the minds of many. 
The same description in verse 3, though written thousands of years ago, of those who want to listen with itching ears for what they want to hear, could very well be a description pulled from the pages of our own history. And so as we finish up our study of this letter this morning, I wanted to look at how we can, in a sense, recalibrate this stand for truth. Recalibrate this gauge of truth in, in our lives and the lives of those around us. But of course, not only finishing up this letter this morning, but finishing up my ministry here at Countryside, I wanted to also kind of echo two of the charges that Paul leaves to Timothy as my charges to you as I continue on and you continue on as well. But I have to kind of issue a caution uh, as we do this because I think as we read this letter and really maybe as we read any biblical letter, I think there's a temptation that as Paul writes these words to Timothy, these final charges, there's a temptation to think that these are only for Timothy. But I think the Holy Spirit is leading Paul as he writes these words to have a special impact for us as well. That as we listen in to this conversation between these two men who are as close as father and son, we also gain an insight into the encouragement that we have in these charges also. And so verse four, please read, or chapter four, verse one, please read with me. Paul says to Timothy and to us, he says, in the presence of God, And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. As Paul issues this charge to us, this charge of preach the word, there are probably one of two reactions that go through your head at first. The first is to think, well, hey, preaching, that's your job, preacher man. I mean, our deal, we come and you speak and that's how this whole thing works. And the second reaction is probably to say, well, I'm, I'm no preacher. You know, I can barely string together three words if there's more than two people in a conversation. I, I can never get up on a stage and speak. It reminds me of the joke from Jerry Seinfeld. He said, according to most studies, people, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death, which he says for the average American then, what that means is at a funeral, you're better off in the casket than giving the eulogy. And many of you probably feel that way when it comes to speaking or or to sharing your faith. But I I think Paul is very specific in this charge that he gives to preach the word. I mean, imagine all of the things that he could have told Timothy when facing these false teachers or, or those who would seek to deny the truth of Scripture. He could have said, you know, call them names, put them down, make sure that people know their true character. He could have said, you know, divide with them along political lines and make sure that you are as staunchly opposed to everything on their agenda. He could have said, you know, argue with them on Twitter and Facebook and don't back down from a good social media fight. He could have said any number of things, but instead he focuses simply on preach the word. And I know this sounds daunting. I mean, not everyone is cut out to be a public speaker. But I don't think that this charge is meant to convey that Preaching the word or standing for our faith happens only in the stage and in the pulpit. But it does mean that each of us 
have opportunities to share Jesus. And that's the first charge that I want to give you this morning, to never stop sharing the love of Jesus. Never stop sharing the love of Jesus. Never stop telling others who Jesus is and what he's done for your life and the power that he has for their lives as well. This isn't just a call for professionals or for ministers. This is a call for every Christian. Paul says, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season, by which he means whether it's popular or it's not. Whether you are listened to or not, whether it leads to hardship or not, preach the word. But here's the thing. I think when it comes to sharing our love for Jesus, it's important to note that we actually have to talk about Jesus. I think American Christians, as American Christians, we have kind of convinced ourselves that our method of evangelism is best used in that lifestyle evangelism method. By that I mean that people will see that we live good lives and, and how nice we are and how kind we are and they will just be chomping at the bit and running up and, and throwing themselves upon us to say, what must I do to be saved, to be, have Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life? And the problem with that is that we're not always that good at living out the example of Jesus. When we build our foundation for evangelism on the nature of how we live our lives, it's going to crumble pretty quickly. Even more so, I think there's a sense that, yes, it's true that our lives should match our words, but often we just have the lives and not the words. We've even kind of come up with phrases to support our lazy evangelism. Many of you have probably heard that uh, old quote, you know, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. It's a quote that's ascribed to the church father Augustine, and I understand the sentiment. He's saying our lives should so model the example of Jesus so thoroughly that it alone should be a testament to who he is. The only problem with that is that there's actually no record of Augustine ever saying those words. And really, it doesn't make sense. It's like saying, you know, pre saying preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. It's like saying eat a balanced breakfast every morning, if necessary, use your mouth. You know, there's just some things that you can't do without following the instructions. You can't preach the word without speaking of Jesus. If we're going to share of the love of Jesus, we need to talk about Jesus. And I know that this fills some of you with a sense of dread. If you really start to think about it and take it seriously, it might even kind of get you sweating a little bit. For you, that funeral joke is not just a joke, that's the reality. You really would rather be in the casket than in a place like this. But I think what's interesting about this is that Paul, who writes these words, would have been right there with you. The apostle who challenges us to preach the word said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says to them, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. 
the apostle who challenges us and tells us to preach the word, the apostle Paul, who is known for his ministry and missionary exploits all over the known world, planting churches and encouraging those churches and preaching to those churches, says, when I preach, my knees knock a little bit. When I preach, there is a fear and apprehension in me. The guy who challenges us to preach the word wasn't really all that fond of preaching, I think. He did it because he knew he should, but it wasn't something that came easily to him. But Paul says as we preach, as we speak, as we share Jesus, there is power that is not ours, that is used in us. Last night, as Chandler was taking his bath and getting ready for bed, uh, he had kind of two of his little farm bath toys, and he, was, he likes to kind of interact and, and have conversations that he's heard and, and play them out in front of him. And so he had two little animals talking to one another, and he's, one of them said, I can't go to bed because I'm scared. Uh, and the other one said, it's okay, monsters aren't real, and God is in here with you. And I just thought, what an accurate description of what Paul is saying, that through the Holy Spirit, God is in here with you. That the power that is available to us as we preach the word, as we share the love of Jesus, is not our own. And so all apprehension or hesitation or fear can be pushed aside, knowing that the one who is within us has greater power than the one who is in the world. Paul says, my sermons weren't fancy. I wasn't the best speaker. In fact, there was some fear in me, but through my weakness, God's power was revealed. And if you don't consider yourself a good speaker then you might be the best person that God has for the job so that he, his power might be shown rather than your own. Always seek opportunities to preach the word. Always seek opportunities to share the love of Jesus. What that means is that when your neighbor loses her baby, you go and you share the love of Jesus. Or when a coworker is going through a divorce, you share the love of Jesus. When your grandchild or your child is, is caught up and focused on the wrong things, you share with them the love of Jesus. Or when your husband has decided that church just isn't for him, you continue to share with him the love of Jesus. There are so many opportunities to share the grace and truth of Jesus if we will be faithful and looking for them. Never stop sharing the love of Jesus. As Paul gives us this second charge, he gets a little bit autobiographical. As we've referenced throughout the study of this letter, Paul knows that his life and ministry are drawing to a close as he is imprisoned and awaiting what he knows will likely be his execution. Verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I can only begin to imagine what Paul felt as he wrote these words. Uh, what must be going through his mind as he, as he wrote what he probably realized were some of his last words that he would write. I imagine he had questions like, did I, did I do enough? Did I reach enough people? I wonder if he felt afraid. I wonder if he was excited to finally see Jesus face to face or if there was apprehension as he felt maybe there was still work to be done. 
But I think amidst all of the questions and uncertainties, what Paul probably felt the most was confidence. Not confidence in himself, but confidence in the salvation that he had spent decades proclaiming. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He speaks of this, this sacrifice that was prescribed in the Old Testament as people would pour out expensive wines or expensive liquids as a sacrifice before God. And Paul is saying, you know, my living sacrifice will not be living much longer. But in the midst of this, he remains confident in the hope that he has put in Jesus. And he is content in the effort that he has put forth in his ministry. He says, I have fought the good fight. He says, I have never stopped laboring. I have never stopped fighting. I have never stopped putting every ounce of my effort and pushing forward and pursuing the gospel. Despite the opposition, despite the hardships, I have never stopped fighting and pushing forward to see Jesus' word go forth. He says, I have finished the race. His ministry is drawing to a close and he has hurtled all of the obstacles and persecution and hardships and criticisms and never allowed himself to be diverted from the course but has kept looking straight on, focused on Jesus. I think of those relay runners, uh, where as they finish their leg, they pass the baton, and inevitably one is kind of beginning to run forward a little bit, and the other is reaching forward to pass the baton, and this is the picture of what Paul is saying. He's passing on the baton, he's passing on the mantle of ministry to Timothy and to us. He has finished his race. Lastly, he says, I have kept the faith. Despite all of the hardship that Paul had faced, the persecutions, and the anguish over erring churches and and his own former persecution of the church, and his heartbreak over those who had rejected his message, even his own people, Paul says, I have never stopped believing in Jesus and never stopped striving so that others might know him too. And in this, in Paul's example, I want to issue you a second charge this morning. And that's simply to say, finish strong. Finish strong. If lived right, the Christian life will likely never be an easy one. We just saw last week in chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul says, if anyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. That doesn't mean that the Christian life is, is not fulfilling. It doesn't mean that we're not filled with joy or that it's not worth the hardship or effort, but it's not easy. And there will likely be times where you may be tempted to walk away from the faith. Or maybe not walk away from the faith, but walk away from the church. There will be times when it is easier to just keep Jesus close to your chest and and have your your personal relationship with him and, and me and my Jesus doing my thing and not sharing him with the world around you. There will be times where where you will want to give up or you will grow discouraged by leaders who fail or other Christians who disappoint or or wound us or maybe you're facing burnout because of all the things that you're pouring into but no matter the temptation I want to encourage you to finish strong Galatians 6 9 Paul says let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up He says, let's not grow tired of doing what we have been called to do, but rather let us finish strong so that we might see the fruit of the ministry and the labor that we have put forth. In 1968, uh, the country of Tanzania chose John Stephen Aquari to represent them 
and the marathon at the Olympics in Mexico City. Several miles into the race, as the runners jockeyed for position, Aquari in the jockeying was pushed to the ground where he dislocated his knee and scraped up his leg pretty badly. And so the race continued on without him. And about an hour after uh, the, last, the, the first place finisher crossed the finish line, the, the sun was setting, the, the crowd had largely emptied out. I mean, not everybody finished this marathon. It wasn't common. And so they figured about an hour later, anybody who's going to finish has already done so. But just as there were just a few thousand left in the arena, a quarry came limping through the final gate with his leg wrapped in a bloody bandage. And as people cheered his determination, he crossed the finish line. But what I find most remarkable about that race is not necessarily the perseverance which he displayed, but what he said about it. After the race, a reporter at the gate asked him the question that was in everyone's mind. Like I said, not everybody finishes these marathons. If anyone had a reason to quit, it would have been him who was really knocked out of the running, so to speak. Yet he continued on for 20 miles, finishing the race. And the reporter said, why continue the race after being so badly injured? And he replied, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to begin a race, but rather sent me 5,000 miles to finish a race. I want to encourage you this morning to continue to strive to finish your race strong. Because this example of finishing strong isn't just a model set before us by Paul, but one we see from Jesus himself. In the middle of the Gospels, we see Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. That from the middle of his ministry, he begins from that point forward, moving ever closer to the place where he knows he will be crucified, where he will be whipped and beaten and humiliated and hung to death. He sets his face there. And no opposition from religious leaders or doubts from the crowds or questions from his apostles will stop him from fulfilling the mission that his father had given him. And when he at any time could have removed himself from the cross, or commanded legions of angels to come to his rescue and fight on his behalf, or when he in a moment, in an instant, could have been transformed into his kingly identity. Instead, Jesus finished strong the task that his Father had given him because of his great love for us. And he was raised to new life that we might experience that life as well. Is he finishing strong isn't about earning your salvation but it just might mean someone else finding theirs. My hope, this is where it gets hard. My hope is that um, my ministry here, may it always be said that I preach the word and that I finish strong. In In my research this week, I found a quote that is an encouragement to me and I hope is one to you as well. It said, We learn from this work of God that it is always greater, that God is always greater than the instrument that He uses. No one is indispensable in God's cause. Eli dies, but God raises up Samuel. Joshua follows Moses, and when Elijah is taken up to heaven, a double portion of his prophetic spirit falls on Elisha. And so now also Paul faces martyrdom, but Timothy is to follow on. In his mercy and grace, God may use us in his work, but he never has to depend on us. The gospel is far bigger 
It's my prayer that God will always be able to use each of you in his work. But at the same time, we might always realize that the gospel is bigger than any one of us. And I'm thankful for the small part that I got to play in the story of Countryside Christian Church. And I'm thankful for, for each of you who have labored beside me in the cause for Christ. And I'm encouraged that many more days of fruitful labor lie ahead for the work that God will continue to do in Pittsburgh through this church and through you. And so let us continue to share the love of Jesus and to finish strong. Let's pray. God, I am uh, beyond grateful for the time I've had to share your word from this pulpit. From the opportunities that I was afforded five and a half years ago to come and to preach and to share life and ministry with those who sit before me this morning. And God, I just pray that you would always remind us that the gospel is bigger than any one of us, that none of us are indispensable. And that while we might be used for a season, the baton passes along to those who will continue the work that you have given us. As I continue this work elsewhere and the work continues here, I pray your blessing upon this place, upon the people who trusted in me. God, I pray that they would finish strong. We thank you for your love. And I pray that we would share that love every opportunity we have. I pray this in Jesus' name.